Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Justin Katchis. And today we're so excited to have Seth Dallaire in the studio. He is the Vice President of Global Advertising Sales at Amazon. Devna, I'm so excited. Do you remember the first time that we met him? I sure do. You want to tell the story? Oh, man. So we were at a happy hour out at Amazon, and both Devna and I interned there this summer. And all of the current MBA students were there who were interns, plus a few MBA students who uh, had graduated were now working in the area. And OCD was actually at Amazon working on a recruiting event and hadn't shown up to the bar yet. In walks this tall man, saunters back to the uh, to back to where we were hanging out, and without missing a beat, Devna turns around, introduces herself, and says, "Hi, you must be Seth." So she welcomes his VP of Amazon, which is a very big role. Makes him feel welcome, introduces him to everybody, and before long had actually found out that he worked in the advertising group, which is what my project was based on, and had graciously introduced me, and, and the rest is history. We ended up meeting with him a couple times over the summer, and and I think for both of us, we consider him a mentor. We are just so lucky, the both of us, we can call him a mentor and someone who has really guided us not only the summer, but ever since we've come back to New York as well. So we're super excited to have him here today. And he keeps coming back. He's been here for an interview at Stern Chats. He's also spoken with STA, the Stern Technology Association, and is really involved from an alumni perspective. So very grateful to have him as part of our community. Yeah, he really is the real deal, and I can't wait till you guys hear what he has to say. Should we get started? Let's do it. Cue that music. From New York University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Devna Shukla. And I'm Justin Katches. Today, we are thrilled to have one of the most influential Stern alums around, Seth Dallaire, Vice President of Global Advertising Sales at Amazon. Seth, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to Stern Chats. Oh, thanks for having me. Seth, it is a true privilege to have you in the booth. So in true Stern Chats fashion, could you give us your 30-second pitch? 30-second pitch on what? What I do, where I came from? All those things. What do you want to hear? Okay. Uh, Well, we can start at Stern. I graduated with an MBA 1999. So long time ago, um, I did my undergrad work at Vassar College. I was a political science major. Uh, before that, I worked on the Hill, Capitol Hill, in politics. Before coming back to business school, prior to that, I was raised on the West Coast. After Stern, started a business with a good friend of mine, also a Stern graduate. He still works in that business today. Still runs the business. I moved all over the place, the U.S., working with Amazon, working with Microsoft, working with Yahoo, in a career that's largely been dedicated to digital media and digital advertising. And for the last 10 or 12 years or so, I guess now, has been focused functionally on advertising sales and sales management. You've done so much, and you mentioned that you grew up on the West Coast. I'm curious, what were, how would you describe your, for, your first like, formative years growing up and, and living on the West Coast? Um, well, I was raised in Seattle, which, uh, you know, living or working for Amazon now, and, you know, both of you having been there before and spent some time there, it's quite a different place uh, today than it was when I grew up. My mom was a school teacher, my father was an attorney. Seattle was very blue collar at the time. If you weren't cutting trees or fishing commercially or building airplanes, you were working in one of the industries that supported those manufacturing industries. And then 
uh, in the 80s, everything kind of came up with tech with Microsoft. I got to see that sort of firsthand, the influence on, uh, on the city and, and on business. And you know, I think there was some uh, inspiration for me uh, to see that sort of growth and just how quickly things grew and ultimately, you know, led me back there to work there for a time. But, you know, being from the West Coast, a different attitude, uh, I'd say, in a lot of ways. My wife's <laughs> from New York City, born and raised. So that was part of what brought us back to NYU. So I wanted to make sure that we lived back here in the city uh, and gave her a chance to, to live in New York as a young adult when we were running around here. That sounds like a fair compromise to me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was good. Not many people went east for college where I went to school. And I went to Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York, which is kind of unusual uh, for people uh, from Seattle to go that far east. But I thought it was great, and it's really set the tone for me for my career when I think about it because I've never been afraid to travel or go to an opportunity as opposed to sitting around and waiting for one to come to me. So if we were to ask a young Seth in Seattle before he goes to Vassar on the East Coast, what his aspirations were from for his life, for his career, what would he say? Well, I think I originally wanted to work in public service. That was, if you talk to young Seth, I always knew that I wanted to live in a big younger Seth. Yeah, I was going to say younger Seth. Younger Seth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to, I mean, Seattle was still a small city relatively. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to get out and experience a large city, New York, London, somewhere uh, like a world capital mm -hmm. and see if I could be successful in that environment. So I always had that aspiration uh, to go and leave. I knew I could always come back to Seattle. My parents were very encouraging in that respect. Um, you could always come back, but you have a window of time in your career and in your life where you can go do something new, try something new, including living in a different city. So that was always high on my list. Experimenting with careers or disciplines also pretty interesting, but you know, truth be told, I thought I would be in public service or do mm -hmm. something in law similar to what my father does, and I just took a different path. Was there a moment that changed your path distinctly, or was it just sort of a slow, gradual pull towards business school and digital media? No, I originally wanted to go to law school, I think, and then I started working on the Hill in politics and in nonprofit work, and it just didn't seem like something that was that interesting for me long-term career-wise. And then working at a nonprofit where money is really tight, mm -hmm. management of a P&L I could see firsthand how important that was. And I know nonprofit work is not a you know, particular area of emphasis for most MBAs, but when you're living in an environment where you're forced on member donations or you're running the business on those types of things, like you're very frugal in terms mm -hmm. of how you manage. And um, that, to me, looked like a skill that would be more durable than any sort of public service that I had sort of grown disillusioned with. So I want to, you touched on, on one thing earlier about how you always had this desire to kind of go try something new, right? You mentioned New York, you mentioned London, you mentioned the big city, right? Something completely different than what you were used to, you know, something out of your your, your comfort zone. And I think that relates a lot to, to what MBAs go through in general, right? I mean, for Devna and I, it was going to Seattle, right? It was mm -hmm. the other direction this past sure. summer. But we have many colleagues here at Stern who come from, uh, you know, other cities and other countries and, and are going through this exact 
you know, kind of pivot in their career or, or geographic change. And I want to understand how you think about kind of tackling challenges like that and, and doing things that, that may be scary to you. That's a great question. And it's also one of the, as a manager and a business leader, it's one of the biggest obstacles for people in terms of career progression is being closed off to those types of opportunities. There's always some risk. You have to have some risk tolerance, not just with you know managing a financial portfolio or the ways that you might normally think about uh, risk here as a academically. You have to think about it professionally as well. And I find that the things that seem scary at the time, like you know, I was relocated to Chicago, offered an opportunity to move from Seattle to Chicago. My wife and I didn't know a soul in Chicago. I wasn't familiar with the teams that I would be managing over there. But we decided to do it anyway. And at the time, it felt like a really high-risk type of decision to make, but in reality, it wasn't. Um, it, there was so much to learn. Learned a ton about a new city, made a ton of new contacts that I carried forward into my present-day career and job. And uh, it seemed at the time to be something that was, you know, risky. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, it was it, there's so much more downside risk to not making that decision and mm-hmm. staying put. Mm-hmm. So, in my experience here at, at Stern, when I was a student, there were a ton of international students, and that was important for me as much as being in the city and having access to New York City and all of the you know, professorial talent that would come through, people that were in the industry and teaching in the classroom at the same time. But there are a lot of people from different areas that of the world. You know, we had someone in my, uh, in our study group, in our block initially, one was from Mexico, one was from Japan, I was from Seattle, we had another person from Ohio, and I believe a, a third person from, uh, from New York who was part of the law school, the JD MBA program. And that it was a wildly diverse group when I sort of compare notes with other MBA students or people who went through other programs similar to Stern. Was coming to Stern one of those risky or scary decisions for you, or did it make sense from the get-go? It was scarier for me in not be moving to New York or coming to Stern to study business. I think I was more, I lacked self-confidence in terms of the the skills that I was bringing as a student relative to what other people were bringing. So if you're sitting down for your core course in uh, managerial accounting, you know, I hadn't taken math, uh, you know, since maybe <laughs> freshman or sophomore year of college. And you're sitting, <laughs> yeah, you're sitting next to someone who's been doing managerial accounting for the past four years of their career prior to coming in for an MBA. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, learning, sitting in the same classroom, that was intimidating. So I really had to step my game up um, in terms of how I thought about learning and what I expected of myself relative to the rest of the students and where I could contribute. And that was the scarier part because I wasn't the traditional uh, MBA candidate having come from, you know, working in, you know, on Capitol Hill or in a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I love that you say that because I can only imagine you in the hallways of KMC, like crushing every presentation, every paper that you had to write. And while you might not have been the strongest in accounting, having classmates admire you for the way that you can present, you know, make an argument and really sell them what the project that is that yeah, you're I mean, working the on. The division of labor with those group projects is pretty spot on. Um, <laughs> Seth, you're up but, in front of the class. <laughs> yeah. But, and, you know, we had business, comp- like case competitions at the time. It was called the MEC uh, when I was here. 
and we won. Our group won that presentation. And I, you know, one of the most important classes that I took here was a communications class. Less so for the business writing, even though at the time I kind of, it was helpful. I didn't know how important it would be as an Amazonian, and you guys know that firsthand. Uh, just the, the, how important the ability to write and communicate in a narrative form is to mm. business. But um, most people just kind of dismissed presenting as something, you know, it's too salesy or it's not something that you want to do or they get nervous doing it. I had to work at it, and the the two classes that I took here that really forced you to do it. I mean, I I have to attribute those that coursework to, you know, how I've been able to succeed in my current role. I have to present all the time, and it's um, unless you practice it, uh, it could be, you know it could be the most terrifying thing that you do. Or and yeah. um, for me, it's such an important tool in terms of explaining what. We do at Amazon why it's important, helping people understand the ambition of the business and the capability. And without it, um, you know, we're not, we won't be as successful. So um, those are important skills that I learned here that were not taught in an Excel spreadsheet or, yeah, um, mm-hmm. you know, in a textbook necessarily. So it it sounds like you've been able to apply your stern education throughout your career. When you think back on your 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 years here, is there a professor or a moment that kind of sticks out in your head as as being particularly memorable? Yeah, I had a couple. So the uh, the marketing professor that I worked with was John Shepiel, and I don't believe he teaches here anymore. Um, he he taught marketing uh, via case study as well as he used some analogs with military history that I thought were really interesting. And I'd never thought of marketing in the way that he taught it as strategy. And it made the notion of selling toothbrushes or brand management at you know, a large consumer packaged goods company seem like something worth spending your career or years of your career on learning how to do, and this and was surprising. It was totally surprising to me because the, uh, you know, the first after the first year, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't pursue any of the offers with the big CPG companies that came through for marketing, and that's mm-hmm. what I was interested in doing was marketing. So it just wasn't interesting to me. I did something in tech in a startup across the street on West Fourth and Broadway, which was very cool and sort of serendipitous to my career, but. Um, the way the second year when I got back in, I thought, okay, now this makes sense. Like this is super interesting to me. It's taught in a way that's strategy and competitive, and it's as much intuition and data driven as anything that you might do with, you know, derivatives trading or, mm-hmm. um, you know, corporate finance in the sort of celebrity professor world of like the demoterans of the world and that type of stuff. So that was he was probably the. You know, the most impactful in terms of the way that I thought about coursework. I also worked with Bill Duggan, who was an adjunct professor in advertising at the time. He now is an executive at the ANA, which is the Association of National Advertisers, which mm-hmm. is a trade group that's really influential in the industry and I work in now. So it's fun to see him around and knowing that you know he was sort of teaching me the ropes on the ad business as an executive at Gray uh, Advertising Agency yeah. in, in, uh, in the evening. So 
it was influential and and I still see some of those professors around. Mm-hmm. That's that, really cool. Yeah, and that's what's so cool about being an alum at NYU and just the investment that the school makes in those professors. Like, I mean, you guys have taken Scott Galloway's class and he's certainly influential in the industry and there's a, you know, Demoterin as well. There are other professors that are of that same level of status that are referred to or, you know, brought in to, to give their opinions or perspectives on industry mm-hmm. and you get access to them, Absolutely. which is cool. You mentioned working at a serendipitous startup on West 4th and Broadway, really a block away from school. I'm curious what that experience um, was and then how that sort of uh, funneled you into working at Microsoft, Yahoo, Amazon, sort of the three biggest names that we have in big tech. Yeah, so the company was called CHA, C-H-A Technologies. It was a very early startup that had an angel investor who was the guy that owned the building um, on West 4th and Broadway. And so we were one of two startups on a floor in the a residential building, basically. And one of both of which were Israeli sort of backed and Israeli uh, Israeli founders. The company that I worked for was in micropayments, and which was before its time. Uh, you could argue that it's still there's <laughs> before its time, <laughs> but they're trying to charge. The ambition was to charge 25 cents for individual articles for content, like from the New York Times, for instance, or the Wall Street Journal, as opposed to doing full-on subscriptions sort of all-you-can-eat or, you know, pay-as-you-go program, which I thought was really cool. And the other company that this angel investor was backing was a company called Mirabilis. And Mirabilis was a room about the size of this, just full of servers. And, like, these guys would skate into the office. They're 20-somethings. They came in one day during my internship over the summer, high-fiving each other and going nuts. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? What, What happened? What's all the good news about? And they had just you know, sold their business to AOL. That business became ICQ, their product was called ICQ as a messaging client, which then became AOL Instant Manager, which, you know, dates me a bit in terms of the internet. But that's <laughs> watching the investment happen there, watching the sort of the exit that those guys had, not just financially, because they were sold for hundreds of millions of dollars, but the guy that bought it, He's Yossi Vardy is very influential mm-hmm. or that helped with the transactions, very influential in the industry still. Uh, but you get that, that sort of bug. Do you see that someone's creating something out of nothing? It's very entrepreneurial and you're com- contributing to the business. You're not part of a big gigantic company where maybe the impact of your uh, work is sort of less obvious. And I mean, it's scary. It's not for everybody. But at the time, and the product that I worked on was kind of, it didn't do, it did not have as successful an exit as Mirabilis. But it definitely got me thinking about technology and media. And that's Mm. really why I wanted to come to NYU was to get quantitative validation, like that I could hang with the math end of the business here with my MBA, because I didn't have it in my resume prior. And then sitting here in the middle of New York City and being able to access all sorts of different media types that might help me get a start or learn with some immediacy. So Mirabilis became Instant Messenger? Yeah, so their product was called ICQ. Oh, I mean, every, every, every kid our age has, has that original screen name that they're super <laughs> yeah. embarrassed about. Yeah. Beach Bum 7 or whatever it yeah. was. <laughs> yeah. um, so 
let's fast forward to when you graduate Stern. Yeah. You had this pretty interesting experience, kind of non-traditional during your summer. You come back for your second year, and then you graduate. What happens next? Uh, well, I started... So I had an entrepreneurship class with a professor that I really enjoyed, uh, and and he had lots of good feedback uh, and gave us all sorts of projects and things to think about in terms of starting a business. And one of my good friends uh, was, I consider him a, a serial entrepreneur. Um, he came up with an idea where he said, hey, we could make these baby gifts, essentially. And it would be interesting if we did this as a project and see, you know, if we backed it ourselves, it would cost us much money. Like, how, how could we make this work and just test to see if it would work? And he was working at a bank at the time or taking a role working at a bank. And I was sort of in between. Uh, I did not take a role uh, because my, my fiancé at the time, who's my wife now, was sick. He was diagnosed with cancer. So I didn't want to do a full-time job, uh, sort of traditional, right out of the gate working in the city. So it was a great opportunity for me to have some flexibility and do something entrepreneurial. It was a little scary because we financed a lot of that business ourselves. Um, and the, the founder, really, the guy that came up with the idea, took on you know, much more risk than, than I did for sure. But the experience of standing something up on your own, having to do everything from financing it to defending it in front of people that, you know, you want to buy it, selling it. It's multidisciplinary. Um, you have to wear every hat and you have to manage your cash flows. I know that sounds silly for all the MBA folks, but, you know, until you're sending money out the door, 50% up front, 50% on receipt, giving terms 60 to 90 days to whoever bought it from you. Those are real life lessons that when they're coming out of your pocketbook. <laughs> um, Working capital. Yeah, they, they <laughs> stay with you in terms of how you manage teams in bigger organizations. Yeah. And I find that people who've had some of those experiences, well, I can speak for myself, the experience that I had there made me feel much more like an owner of mm -hmm. teams uh, that I managed, whether they were at big companies like Microsoft or Yahoo or, or Amazon. And you guys know from working at Amazon that ownership is, you know, is highly valued uh, leadership principle. And there's an expectation that you're going to act like an entrepreneur and owner of a business. And those types of firsthand experiences for me are, were invaluable. One thing that I really appreciate about you and think about your career and think about our careers that are sort of starting anew after school is that you've been such an incredible mentor to the two of us especially. And so I'm curious that as you're navigating through these challenging times, learning new skills, developing and really owning you know, strong businesses in each chapter of your life, if you've had mentors that you lean on for advice or have helped you get to where you are each step of the way. Oh, for sure. I've been super fortunate in that respect. I won't name them personally, but I've had uh, the benefit of working for, with a number of very talented people and you know, maintaining that network and leaning on them for advice has, you know, across every step of my career has been helpful. So I try to, you know, pay that forward too and make sure that I'm, you know, helping 
people out um, where appropriate or if they see like an opinion or advice or perspective would be helpful. Uh, that's, that's really important. And reverse mentorship as well, if that's a concept, making sure that you're talking with people who are new to the business. They have a totally different set of eyeballs, different perspective and expectations that keep you honest and, and fresh. Like I, in my current role, uh, I don't have the opportunity to, to get that perspective very often. Mm-hmm. And, but if you don't seek it out and you don't have it, even anecdotally, it's a huge blind spot. And so that being mentor, a mentor and then having strong mentors, uh, it's helpful for everything from just experience, business management to diversity in terms of how you're going to staff your teams, like just keeping those things top of mind. Absolutely. So. Listening to you talk about your career, it seems like you've been kind of building these key foundations, right? You talk about ownership, you talk about being entrepreneurial, you talk about having important mentors to kind of guide you through that process. Now that you're kind of part of the executive team at Amazon, um, what is it like to work there? How do you draw on some of those lessons that you have? And and to be honest, what's it like to, to meet with the other executives at Amazon, right? The Jeff Blackburns, the Jeff Bezoses. What is it like kind of being in the room there? Um. I mean, it's intimidating for sure. Uh, there's, I mean, the great thing about, you know, I've done two stints at Amazon, you know, once, uh, you know, not long after I graduated from Stern, year 2000 through late 2002, I was a different point in my career. And then in my current role since 2012, so almost, almost seven years. And, you know, the consistency of the culture in terms of leadership principles and emphasis on those has been pretty consistent, which is great. Um, a lot of the exec team, like particularly the folks that you just mentioned, Justin, are they've been there forever. Mm. And so they have a lot of institutional knowledge and experience that's super valuable. And when you talk with someone you know, who's in that level of leadership at the company, I'm always amazed at their ability to very quickly audit a business and get be able to dive deep and get into the questions that really are most critical. Uh, my bo- my uh, manager, who's been at the company for, I believe, almost 20 years now, is, is an amazing capacity to do it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I owe it to the business, I owe it to my team, the customers, to have that same you know, or aspire to have that same level of attention to the business, like how we manage our inputs. Are we looking at the right ones? Are we asking our, you know, the right questions of one another? And I've always, my experience has always been that Amazon's a really flat organizational structure in that respect. And so the, you know, my opinion, I don't think has necessarily more weight than the opinion of someone who might be at a different station in the organization, different level in the organization where they just, they have the right question to ask or a different perspective. Like it's not, <clears throat> I've worked at other big companies where that, that type of hierarchy needs to be observed and it's a, it can be a real limiter. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoy it and I always learn something. There's so many of those execs that have diverse experiences because they've worked in the retail side of the business. They've worked on corp dev, they've worked on 
setting up a studios business. They've mm-hmm. worked, uh, you know, they've had the um, the challenge of of having investors or just conventional wisdom doubt everything that you're doing. I mean, when I worked at Amazon the first time around, we the consumer electronics store was opening, and no one thought that consumers would ever buy a television online mm. or any type of consumer electronics. Okay, that's what you go to the store for. You need that consultation. And here we are, you know, in a totally different space where there's, you know, when I joined the company again or rejoined the company in 2012, like no one's going to buy toothpaste online. You know, <laughs> no one, and it's just a totally different yeah. mentality. And you, the longer you're at the company and the more experiences you have like that, um, you learn a ton mm-hmm. and you're not afraid of challenging convention and trying to do great things for a customer. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, when, when you were mentioning how people are, you know, if you're sitting at the table, you're expected to have a voice. I think that resonated a lot with both Devin and I through our internship experiences there. And I had the benefit of also working in the advertising business, which is growing very fast mm-hmm. uh, and is getting bigger and bigger every year. So I guess, from that perspective, what's next for you? What's next for Seth? What's next for the advertising business at Amazon? Well, I mean, what I can share, uh, we're going to continue to invest in the advertising business at Amazon for sure. I know that sounds obvious, but when I joined the business in 2012, I would argue that we are still in an experimental stage in many ways with the business. And we've been very fortunate to have done some really interesting things built an interesting business that drives a lot of value for advertiser customers, drives a lot of, uh, you know, is accretive to the shopping experience for, for our retail customers. And as part of that, along that ride, been able to observe so many changes in consumer behavior and the way that disciplines like brand marketing have com- been completely turned upside down. And it's never been easier to start a brand. It's never been easier to find a customer uh, or an audience for a brand or for content for that matter. And being in the digital space and working at Amazon, I feel like I have a a really interesting seat Mm -hmm. to observe that stuff and then actually influence it or help people understand it and drive results. That's super exciting. I've been very fortunate and lucky in my career to have worked in digital media at a time when everything was changing. And there are plenty of of other industries that just haven't changed as much. But I mean, there's something new every single day in my current role that excites me and scares me at the same time. And uh, that's what makes it so cool. I just see a lot of upside there for just advertising and media as an industry because there's just so much change happening. Speaking of new things happening, of course, we're curious what advice you would give to current and past and future MBA students on how to have such a successful um, and meaningful career, you know, in digital media. Well, I would say regardless of what industry you're in, oftentimes when I get asked by younger people, throwing up the thoughts <laughs> there, um, about career advice and the sort of answer that I give them or a question that I ask back is that, and it's very similar to an Amazon principle about working backwards, you need to start with where you want to be. And that might be 
writing it out in a narrative form. It might be writing it out in your resume. Like, what's your resume look like five years from now? What does that version of Devna or, or Justin look like? And then you will, by forcing yourself to do that exercise, you will have to write out what skills you need in order to demonstrate that you're capable or successful at doing that job. I find that writing those things down in the same way that writing a narrative for a business case or an idea makes holds yourself accountable. And if you can't explain the things well or you don't take the time to write it out in a narrative, then it's it's there's not as much weight to it. You have to take that time and then then you can decide, okay, you need to have these skills. What's the plan to develop the skills? Are you doing the right things? Are you in the right roles? Because um, you could end up just <clears throat> You know, moving along with the current and end up somewhere two years, three years from now in a place where you didn't expect to be or really you didn't want to be, but they just kind of got carried that way. Mm. And I've been, I've always been much more ambitious and thoughtful about managing my own career. You can't wait for someone else to just come tap you on the shoulder. There's always some aspect of, of that where you, but you have to make a lot of your own opportunities, which mm-hmm. is why you do, you have to go to it sometimes. Might Dev- be going to Seattle, might be going to Chicago, might be going to New York. Absolutely, right? Be willing to take the risk. And, yeah. and Devna uses the, the phrase being intentional all the yeah. time. And I think that's a really good summarization of, of what you just said. So Seth, thank you so much for being here with us. You got it, thanks for having me. Thank you for sharing your work experience, your wisdom. Uh, a few laughs and we hope to have you back on yeah thank you very much for the time i appreciate it